met so far. I'm, I'm Pastor Nathan. I'm the senior pastor here. We're glad you're here to worship. But we are all about knowing Jesus today. But I want to dismiss children for Children's Church out the north door. That's ages four through first grade. And you can follow Mr. Long and Mr. Schwartz out that north door. But whether you know this or not, we as human beings are part of a great love story. You see, the holy God of this universe, He made us to know Him, to enjoy Him, to find our joy in Him. That's why He made us. That He might share the joy that He has in Himself with us. But another created being who was originally created as an angel of light. He was jealous for his own glory, his own ego. And since he couldn't harm the God of the universe, he would do the next best or the next worst thing, if you will. Go after those made in his image. Trying to deceive them that God was holding out on them. That what they really needed to do to have life in order that they might like be like God is to rebel against Him and choose to go their own way. Unfortunately, He was successful. You see, He knows He's a condemned creature. But what He's going to do is take those made in God's image down with Him as, as much as He can. But our God is not done. Our God was not done. And He pursued men and women made in His image. He made Himself known to a man to put His faith in Him, to a family, ultimately to a nation, and then in the fullness of time, God sent His Son to put on flesh, dwell among us, to ultimately die for us, pay the price and conquer sin and death. The penalty of our, our rebellion against God. But part of his mission in coming was to face that enemy once more. To face the one who our forefathers could not conquer, who were deceived. Jesus, again, he put on flesh and blood dwelt among us, lived this life, and he came to face that enemy. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, you won't want to crack them open to the fourth chapter of Luke. And we're going to see Jesus fighting the enemy of our souls. So, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. 
He said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up out of their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all of his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Let me pray for us, then we'll go ahead and continue God's word this morning. Lord Jesus, you are indeed the Son of God, God who put on flesh and dwelt among us. You are our Savior. And I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see you today, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we're also made aware that we face a very real spiritual enemy. So give us grace to see his, his schemes, his traps. But ultimately, let us put our faith in you and what you have done to conquer this enemy. So Lord, use your word today to do your work in our hearts and our lives. It is in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. So we've been in this series through the Gospel of Luke. (laughs) Jesus put on flesh, born in a manger, dwelt among us. He grew up. In the last few weeks we've been looking at his preparation to head into public ministry. And we see that he is baptized He goes to John the Baptist to be baptized. A baptism for the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus doesn't need to be forgiven sins. He's sinless. But he is baptized in order that he might identify with us sinners so that we might turn around and identify with him and his sinlessness. And at that moment, we see the Holy Spirit coming down in the likeness of a dove. Seeing that he is full of the Holy Spirit and will be the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God. This is evidence of His heavenly credentials. And then we hear a voice from heaven. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In fact, we will be loved in the Son. So we see Jesus' heavenly or divine credentials. Then last week we were in His genealogy, all 77 names. And we find out that Jesus is that promised son the promised son of david who would reign on his throne forever he is that promised son of adam and eve who would crush the serpent's head and that's where we find out he has that that earthly genealogy but now here we are and we see that jesus full of the holy spirit he left the jordan area after he was baptized was led by the spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, here's what I want you to notice, just out out of the gate here. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. He's being led by the Holy Spirit 
into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's kind of interesting, don't you think? The wilderness traditionally was a place where God would bring his people to meet them. He brought the children of Israel into the wilderness to show them that he could meet them, take care of them. He had to do so for 40 years so they would be prepared to enter the, the promised land. Jesus here goes into the desert to fast for 40 days even to prepare for his ministry. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were going into the wilderness, I don't know that I'd be fasting. But Jesus was. He was putting his faith in his heavenly Father. But you know who shows up? It doesn't seem to be God who shows up. It's the devil. I think I'd be tempted to say, what the devil are you doing here? Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. But it seems quite counterintuitive, doesn't it? That you're being led by the Holy Spirit only to go out and meet the devil. We have to understand that Jesus has a rescue mission. He's on God's mission to fight a very real spiritual enemy and he's going to take him head on. And here's the first thing I want to say to you. In this, in this episode and what happens in Jesus' life, Jesus facing temptation is part of his salvation to us. Jesus facing temptation is part of our salvation. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18 say this, For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He was able to help those who are being tempted. And then, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. (laughs) Here's the obvious point. Jesus has lived this life. He He knows what it's like. He experienced life's aches and pains. He's experiencing hunger right now emotions, and he felt temptation, real temptation. And more, as we see in the story, really more intense than us, yet he was without sin. You see, he's there to succeed where Adam and Eve failed. And it wasn't easy. But the salvation he offers... (laughs) He says, look, I didn't live a life shielded or guarded or sheltered. I experienced it all. As one who says he lived this life in order that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. We can never say of Jesus, you have no idea what it's like, Jesus. You have no idea what it's like. Yeah, I do. I do. And here's one of the thought that just came to me as I was, I was preparing because I was reminded of this with my group. You know what Jesus is doing right now? He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's interceding for you and me. If you put your faith in Jesus, he's interceding for you right now. He is our advocate with the Father. He's right there 
I don't know about you, but that gives me amazing comfort. That, that truth is out of Romans 8, 34. Jesus is right there with the Father praying for Alex, praying for Heidi, praying for Jeff, praying for all of you who put their faith in Jesus right now. As I said, Jesus faced intense temptation more than we do, yet the core issues, they still remain the same. They're still similar to what we experience. And so the devil said to him in verse 4, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, this doesn't seem like an amazing temptation. There's no real command to turn stones into bread, although I have to tell you, I've never done it myself. But Jesus, in fact, in his ministry, will multiply bread and fish to feed a whole crowd, won't he? So what's the big deal? Why is this a temptation even? Tempta this, this first temptation really is to seek to be independent of God. Or God the Father, if you will. See, the Satan's appeal is, is to Jesus' ego. If you are the Son of God, well then prove it. Show me. Show me. And can't you just hear Jesus saying, well, wait a minute, weren't you there at my baptism where the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and the voice from heaven? Weren't you, didn't you hear that? I'll show you. And by the way, that's the, that's the, the same line he's going to hear from his enemies or from those who are his critics. If you're the Messiah, well then show us. Do something to prove it. Show us a miracle. And, you know, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. So he really was hungry. I don't know if you've ever fasted for a long time, but it gets to the point, it kind of stops, it goes away, but then at the end it starts getting more intense again. And you feel like, I am desperate. I need food. So you've got an appeal to ego. You've got the hunger issue here. But now you've got Satan saying, do it, provide it, provide yourself. You're the Son of God. Show me. But Jesus is not here to do his own will. He's here to do the Father's will. And he doesn't exert his own power here. When he does, it's to obey him keeping in step with him, not to satisfy his critics or even to satisfy his own flesh. He is here to live the life of dependence upon God the Father that we did not or could not. And to know, to know that God is our life, not our ability, not our own resources or riches. And Jesus answered him, out of Deuteronomy 8, 3. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And if you know the context of that conversation, that scripture, it's God saying, I provided you manna in the desert, and I humbled you, allowed you to experience hunger, and then I provided for you in order that you might know that man does not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Know that I, God, am your life. I am your Savior. Do you ever think about that? God brings His people out in the desert where there are no resources to show them that He is their life. So Jesus is living this out right here. Well, hey, folks, it's wise to save. I'm not against that. I'm not against being a good steward of the things God has given you. But when we take those things and store them up, hoard them, or come to the conclusion that they are life, in fact, I, I want to store this up because I don't ever want to be in need ever again. I want to hold on to this. I don't want to need anyone or anything, maybe even including God. We're deceived to believe that we have life in, those, in that wealth or those resources. And what are you tempted to say in your own heart? If I only had X, if I only had this thing, or if I only had X amount of dollars, if I only had this, then I would be set. Then I would have no need. Now what we need is Him. What we need is Him, and Jesus was living this out. Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, He chose to stay humble and dependent upon His, his Heavenly Father. So He passes the first temptation, which is to be independent of God the Father. The second temptation, you see, Satan can't tempt Him through subtlety, so He's going to go the opposite direction now. He's going to go over the top. Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I will give you their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some irony in this statement. Yes, Satan is allowed to roam the earth, have some influence. But I tell you folks, this is my Father's world. That's why we sang that earlier. In fact, the Scripture says, Psalm 24.1, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. So this is a a half-truth, if you will. Jesus himself, who was the second person of the Trinity, as we already talked about, was there at creation, helping create. In fact, it says in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created. What do you mean you're gonna give me the earth? It's like a guy who steals your car and then tries to sell it back to you, right? It's deceptive. Yet there's a temptation to worship the creation rather than the creator. You see, somehow in a cosmic highlight reel, Satan shows Jesus all the glory of the kingdoms of the earth. I'm not sure how that went down. But I'm sure it was present and future. He says, I'll give it all to you. And folks, let's face it, God made this world, and while it's broken, there's still beauty here, right? It's attractive. And I'm sure he was 
appealing, saying, Jesus, after 30 years of being a Jewish peasant, you could really be somebody. You could have a much better life. You could have it all. You could have it all. Just worship me. Just worship me. And ultimately, that worship or that worship or the value is putting it all in the good things of this earth. And isn't that the lie of the garden all over again? That God has really been holding out on you. He really doesn't want you to have much fun. He's holding goodness away from you. What you need to do is take matters into your own hands and pursue what's best for you so that you can have all the good stuff of this earth. There are two problems with this. Having it all does not satisfy. Having it all does not satisfy the soul. That's what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about, right? He starts out saying, vanity, vanity, or meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. It's about Solomon's life experience of having all this world has to offer without God and finding it to be empty and meaningless. J.D. Rockefeller, which at one time, who at one time was the richest man in the world, he was asked by a New York Times reporter, how much money is enough? And you know what he said? Just a little bit more. Because he could never be satisfied with what he had. It's all meaningless. It never satisfies. It's empty because we are created to have God fill that soul-satisfying place. We are created to find our joy in Him. And if you've ever been here in Abrian for more than maybe five sermons, you know what I'm going to say. Psalm 16.2 The Lord, I said to my Lord, You are my Lord, and apart from You, I have no good thing. Lord, apart from You, I have no good thing. No matter how much goodness I experience on this side of heaven, apart from you, I have no good thing. And that is a truth that sometimes it takes a little bit of life to experience. But you can experience some of the good things and then find them wanting. And then you can taste and see that God is good. You know, in that same psalm, it says this. It says, You have made known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. The book of Ecclesiastes says, He has set eternity in our hearts. Chapter 3, verse 11. Other Christian theologians. Blaise Pascal says, God has made a God-shaped vacuum in our soul that only He can fill. St. Augustine says, God, you have made us restless until we find our rest in thee. Even secular prophets like you too said, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
right? Because I'm looking in the wrong place. Sorry, Bono. Knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. So Jesus responds out of Deuteronomy 6.13, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And we talk about worship. It's not just bowing down, saying a prayer, singing a song, if you will. It is to give Him worship. To give Him value. That you are the one I value most. You're the one thing, the one person I value most. That's where I find my life. Oh God. And I will give you my life that I might taste and see that you are good. As Psalm 34.8 says. And folks, I'll tell you, when we do taste and see that he is good, it is an awesome thing, isn't it? If you've experienced that, you're saying, yeah, and I want more. Here's the problem. Life comes along and we forget. Somehow we get amnesia. Something else distracts us. And we need to be reminded. And our temptation is to replace in our hearts, in our souls, in our lives what God was intended to fill with the good things of this earth. Whether it's wealth, or stuff, or power, or fame, food, or sex, or entertainment, or relationships. And none of those things are necessarily bad, per se. But they are when they take the place that God is supposed to occupy in our hearts, when we make that an idol. And we do so because it is pleasurable for a moment, right? And we do so because it's easier. It's easier. It's easier than pursuing God at times. And Jesus is calling us back to himself from that temptation to give worship to our God, our creator, the lover of our soul, rather than the creation. That's what he's calling us back to. To overcome that temptation to worship the creation rather than the creator. Well, within this encounter, the devil learns his lesson. <laughs> what's, been, what's Jesus been using to fend him off this whole time? The Word of God, right? The sword of the Spirit. So he has to maybe use his own weapon against him, if you will. So, verse 9 the devil led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil quotes Psalm 91. And maybe for many of us it's a it's a comforting psalm. 
It talks about dwelling in the shadow of the Most High that you might rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It's a place of refuge, a place of protection. And these verses were in there, verses 11 and 12, about guarding, the guarding of angels to guard their feet. But you can just see Satan. Huh, okay. Son of God. Bible quoter. You believe the word of God, right? So it says, if you're going to take him at his word, you won't strike your foot on a stone because the angels are going to protect you. So let's, let's show it. Let's see that happen. Throw yourself off of this, that God will take care of you. There are three problems with this, though. <laughs> Number one, God the Father is not commanding him to do this. Not commanding Jesus to do this. Number two, there's no party shoving him off this. I guess there's a fourth problem. It's stupid. It's just downright stupid. But number three, it's taken out of context. The context of this passage is when you're experiencing opposition. And you make God your refuge. Not putting yourself foolishly in a place where you're asking God to perform a miracle to satisfy your desire for him to do magic tricks. You see, it's a temptation to force God's hand to do our will. A temptation to force God's hand to do our will. Taking his word and using it to bend God to our will rather than take the whole word of God into context. And so Jesus answered. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I want to tell you, God is indeed calling us to take him at his word. And sometimes, to not lean on our own understanding and always acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. To do something that seems foolish in the word, in the, in the eyes of the world, right? One of our, our brother and sister churches here in, in town, Bear Creek, um, I'll tell you what, I, I really admire them because they have purchased the uh, Crossroads campus and that's a huge deal. They're a small church, they're smaller than us. And they feel like God is calling them to buy this campus and use it as a place of ministry. They're providing housing for people who low-cost housing, who need it. People who are coming out of Minnesota Teen Challenge who are looking for a place afterward. And it's an amazing thing. And I was talking with Aaron on Thursday. And says, look, we want to be a part of something where the watching world will look around and say, only God could have done this. But they're doing it because they feel, believe that God called them into this and that he's big enough to meet them. And I'll tell you what, I want to partner with them, I want to be praying for them, and that God will use them amazingly. But that's the kind of faith we want to have in building His kingdom, not making God jump through our hoops just to satisfy Him to do, you know, make Him do magic tricks. No, He's, he's building a kingdom. And by the way, He's the Lord. We're not. We should be taking orders from Him, not giving orders. And you know what? God and His 
His mercy as a, as a loving Father, He does listen to our prayers, doesn't He? All the ones that are in line with His, king, his will, and even to the foolish ones. But He gives us what's good in His wisdom. But we should not be testing Him. We should not be putting God to the test in areas where we're just it's operating out of our own selfishness and foolishness. We have to know that He's calling us and to move forward into that in building His kingdom. And by the way, every deception of Satan will have a kernel of truth in it. You know that? There'll be a little inkling of truth in that. And that's why we have to use the full word of God. That's why we have to know it. This is our weapon, folks. This is the only offensive weapon we have. All the other parts of the armor of God are all defensive to take the shots. This is the one to swing back. So that's why we need to know it. So we get to the end of this episode. The devil had finished all his tempting and he left him until an opportune time. You see, (laughs) Satan feels like he's finished for now, but he's going to come back. He's going to tempt Jesus not to finish his mission, to come down off the cross. And there's a lesson for us here. Because there's a temptation sometimes to dismiss the devil. For our own society... Just to deny that he exists, right? Because that seems foolish. That seems like superstition. What? Do you believe in the devil? Oh, a little pitchfork here, you know? No. In fact, he's an angel of light. In fact, he makes himself look pretty darn good oftentimes. But there is a real spiritual enemy. The scripture affirms that. And we may not be able to see him. But he's there. And he's coming for even those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter will put it this way, Be on the alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. James will say it this way, very succinctly. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the strategy. First, submit to God. First, submit to God. What's he saying? What's he telling you to do? And in doing so, you actually are resisting the devil. And ultimately, he will flee from you. But no, he's going to come back. (laughs) I hate that thought. He's going to. Because he's going to try and trip us up some other way. So again, we need to be alert. We need to submit to our Heavenly Father. And we need to resist. And know that he is an enemy that we can overcome. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 talks about this, about some saints who are being attacked by the devil. And it says this, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb 
They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, first of all. The blood of the Lamb that covers us. The blood of the new covenant that says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no accusation for you or me who are in Christ. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, our faith, our confidence in him and what he has done. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. To be reminded that this is not all there is. We're living for a greater reality, a greater eternity. And ultimately, He is our life. Yes, we may lose our life in the service of Christ. I don't think that's real apparent here in the United States, but it's very apparent around the world. But this life is not ultimately our life. He is our life. And He gives it to us for eternity. And folks, I just want to tell you, our enemy is a doomed enemy. A doomed enemy. Here's what happens to him in Revelation 20.10. It's coming. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Ultimately, justice will fully prevail upon our enemy. But here's what I want you to know today. Jesus, our Savior, He has triumphed over our enemy. And because He has triumphed, we can triumph. It's like the song we sang. We have victory in Jesus. We have victory in Jesus. We have everything we need to fight our battle against Him. We have His Word. We have His blood that covers us and makes us innocent in the sight of God. There's no accusation against us. And we have His Holy Spirit within us. Jesus has conquered, and we can conquer too. That's the confidence I want you to walk away with today. And my friend, if you've not put your faith in Jesus... I want to tell you, he's coming after you as well. But you got no armor. Come put your faith in Jesus that you might be covered and you might have victory in him as well. If you're not sure how to do that, I'd love to talk with you about that after the service or one of our elders. Well, let's close in prayer. And, and Brian, will you and the worship team come and close us with a word of worship? Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are the conqueror. You are the great one who bought our salvation. And we are thankful. Help us to walk as you walked. To submit ourselves to God, to trust you. To know again, Lord, that we can be dependent upon you, Heavenly Father. That we can pursue you for our joy. And Lord, ultimately, that you are our Lord. And we can obey you, knowing that you're going to bring about good things for eternity even. Help us keep our eyes fixed on you. And help us to have our trust fixed on you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.